Hello, everyone, and welcome to Picture the Scene podcast, hosted by me, Andrew. And me, Rachel. Now, please note, this is a true crime podcast, so listen to caution is advised. So how is it going today, Rach? What have you been up to since the last time we spoke? Yeah, it's going good, thanks, Andrew. Um, what have I been up to? Not much, really. Um, just indulging in a couple of podcasts and reading a book as the winter nights draw in. Um, and I definitely do not recommend listening to true crime podcasts when now going out for evening walks on not well-lit streets. <laughs> no, I don't think that that sounds too good. I'm a bit too much of a scaredy cat, so I don't think I'd do that one. So I guess the question is, are you, mood, are you in the mood for some true crime? I absolutely am because I'm safe, tucked up in my home with the doors locked. Let's go. We don't know who's outside, but okay, let's do it. <laughs> so before we do get on to the next episode, actually, I just want to give a shout out to Caprice over at the Unseen Podcast. She's rapidly approaching her fourth anniversary for a podcast. And it's really hard to be consistently good for such a long period of time. It takes a lot of effort and skill. And she has that. And I suspect everyone listening to this already does listen to Caprice, giving you all obviously got some amazing tasting podcasts. But if you haven't, <laughs> Do go and give her a listen. You won't be disappointed. And also, please do go subscribe and rate us. If you like as that is, wherever you can. We'd be more than grateful. We'd be more grateful, actually, than a can of links when Prince Andrew declared he doesn't ever sweat. <laughs> because I don't think you want to be near that naked body, would you? But we can be found we we can be found on all social medias. We're at SceNePod on Twitter and Instagram. That's at S-C-E-N-E-P-O-D. Or you can find us on Facebook by searching for Picture the Scene Podcast. So now that's out of the way with. If it's safe for you to do so, I'd like all of you listening to relax, to close your eyes and picture the scene. Today we're going to take you back to Sunday the 23rd of October 1983, just over 28 years ago to the village of Daw in South Yorkshire. Now, Look, Daw- can I just in- yeah? interrupt there, Andrew? Um, I wish it was 28 years ago. But I think you'll find it's 38 years ago. Oh, wow. My maths. My maths when I see this. I'll not edit it out because it, it's good to make me look imperfect sometimes. I am quite perfect. Even, it's not even bad mathematics. I honestly believe that, like, I, I still think the year 2000 was just a couple of years ago. I just think it's just oh. a poor concept of time. Now, do you know what I used to remember being a kid thinking, I'm leaving my age away here, but thinking wow, I'm going to be 20 in the year 2000. And um, and now it's, yeah. It Quite is, depressing. Too long ago, yeah. So <laughs> let me get back. Thank you for that, Rachel. So, so that's okay. So we're, it's just over 38 years ago, and I'm going to take you to the village of Daw in South Yorkshire. Now, Daw is in a historic village with the earliest record of it being in the year 827. So that's longer than the year 2000. But nowadays, <laughs> it's a wealthy suburb of the, in the city of Sheffield. Now, didn't, honestly, didn't realize such thing existed. Wealthy <laughs> suburb in Sheffield. I'll, I'll, I'll ignore that. See, as I come from Sheffield, I'll ignore that one. Um, <gasps> so on, on this particular day, I'm so wa- sorry. <laughs> it's fine. I know exactly what you mean because I come from Sheffield. But th- there is one or two areas. The Arctic Monkeys are from quite a posh area. Even what well, they were students in quite a posh area. Anyway, I, I'm digressing. Um, 
on this particular day, the morning temperature had started off quite low, going as low as 2 degrees Celsius or 35 degrees Fahrenheit. But by the time that mattered to the Latina family, it had risen to a respectable 11 or 12 Celsius or 51 to 53 degrees Fahrenheit. The, la the Latinas, actually it's the Latinas, uh, so apologies for saying that wrong to begin with. The Latinas, Basil, who was a solicitor, and Avril, who was a doctor, were celebrating a joyful occasion that afternoon, which is why the temperature mattered. They were celebrating the wedding of their daughter, Suzanne, to an optician from Glasgow, Ivor Wolf, that happened earlier in the day at a local synagogue, and they were hosting a reception for their daughter at their house. Now, I need your opinion on this one, Rage, because I'm not a parent yet, and you are, but I think watching one of your children in blissful happiness getting married must be such an amazing thing to do. Now, I know you've got a few years left to go before you can do that, but I, I, when I was writing this, I was thinking, you've probably imagined what that's like already, uh, have you? Well, I'm not going to lie to you, Andrew. I'm going to definitely send my daughter off to a convent and she's going to behave until she's approximately in mid-30s and then she can make decent life decisions and, you know, spend most of her 20s. Uh, behaving uh, no I joke um I haven't given it too much thought but it it's for me it would be um just thinking now things like shopping for the dress and you know the day itself yeah making sure that she's happy and um has the best day of her life and I think that goes for like any occasion you know like graduating university or um celebrating birthdays and things like that get excited about celebrating occasions for sure yeah yeah i can't I'll, I'll experience it one day but yeah it's i think those moments as a parent it's it's what you live for isn't it to see yeah. to be able to pass it forward and see your kids happy yeah but, definitely so the lateness uh, once the reception was over i suspect basil and avril they would have been exhausted but they would have been so happy yeah. their minds would have been so full of many fresh memories of their loved daughter's wedding but unfortunately those happy memories would soon be replaced by some that were the exact opposite. Which, I mean, you are listening to a true crime podcast, so to be expected. But I'd like to never, introduce... Sorry. can never just be a nice... You know what you should do one day? Just, just write a script where nothing happens. Everything is just really blissful, very lovely, and every happy ending happens. The uh, end. We'll give it a go. I used to write cowboy stories, so maybe I'll, I'll just write a cowboy story. No. <laughs> I, I would get zero ever again. But I'd, um, I'd like to introduce you to Arthur Hutchinson. Arthur was born in 1941 during the war in Hartlepool, and he was known to be the favourite of his mother, Louise, and she was very protective of him. Now, Arthur's half-brother, Dino, was quoted as saying this about him as a child. He was backward, you see. Everybody used to take the mickey out of him. He was trying to prove something all the time. Now, it's obviously not a very PC thing to say, but that is what he said. Now, it's been claimed by Colin Evans in his book, The Casebook of Forensic Science, that even at the young age of seven, he stabbed his scissor. He stabbed his scissor. He stabbed his sister with a pair of scissors. Now, uh, so obviously Arthur maybe wasn't a very nice person from the very beginning. Mm -mm. And when he was an early teen, 
he got himself a job as a farmhand. And that love of the land continued with him throughout his life. And he became a keen allotment user. And in his later teen years, he would be well known as a petty criminal. He would steal cars, change license plates, and lots of low-level uh, crimes like that. But his crimes, they didn't stay low-level. They escalated over the years. And they included burglaries and several sexual assaults. And in the late 1970s to the early 1980s, he served five years for carrying a firearm and the attempted murder of his half-brother Dino. So you can see the escalation there. And maybe that's why Dino didn't think too much of him because he tried to kill him. But, um, <laughs> but he'd actually, Arthur not been out of... People do change, Rachel. And you said that you expect something that's going to happen here, but maybe, listeners, Arthur's not the bad guy here. And he'd, he'd not been out of prison a huge amount of time. When on the 20th of September of 1983, just under four weeks before the 23rd of October 1983, that we, we, I originally introduced you to, that he was arrested and taken to Selby Police Station on a suspicion of theft, burglary, and rape. So now, he hadn't I, changed. Well, no, he hadn't changed. But I, want to give, I wanted to give him a little bit of hope. A tiny bit of hope, yes. and then snatch it away. Now, while he was at the police station in on that day in September, he has to go to the toilet, and he subsequently jumped out of a second-story toilet window of the police station and escaped. He injured his knee in the process on some barbed wire that was around the top of a wall of the police station, but, uh, but yeah, he escaped. And I imagine they've probably improved security since then, I hope so. But for three and a half weeks, he was on the run from the police. He would later claim that he hid from the police by hiding in gutters and bushes, and eating dandelions and roots. And uh, how true that is, we'll never know. Um, I can't imagine it turned into a 1980s version of Bear Grylls, but it, it could be true. <laughs> uh, three and a half, so three and a half weeks after his escape, he was planning an armed robbery. So no, he didn't change. And he'd assume he was doing it to help fund his life on the run. So he was targeting homes in a well-off village of Door. I know maybe because he'd seen the reception party taking place, or maybe for other reasons, but he decided to target the home of the Leighton's, Basil and Avril, and their children. So, but I want to skip to the next morning, actually, in the morning of Monday the 24th of October, 1983. Now, some workmen had arrived at the Leighton house, and they were ready to dismantle the marquee that had been hired for the wedding reception. And... What do you think they found when they went to dismantle the marquee? I dread to think what they found, but I have read the script and I'm going to say some bodies. I'm just hopeful that the married couple weren't staying at the property and that back in 1983, it was definitely still a done thing to go and stay a night in a hotel in the honeymoon suite. Well, let's find out. So what they did find was a woman who turned out to be the 18-year-old daughter of the Leighton's, not the one who got married, but the bride's sister. And they found her in total distress. She was emotionally destroyed, and they also found an evidence of a bloodbath. So what exactly happened? What do you think happened, Rach? It's a metaphorical question, because you know what happened, but what do you think happened, Rach? Well, not, no, if, I, if I 
pretend for a second that I didn't know and you just gave me those facts, I'd be saying that he planned a burglary and someone's disturbed him and he's gone on a frenzy and killed the dad, maybe in front of the sister. But yeah, I don't know. I don't I don't get why she survives, but maybe you're going to tell us. Maybe everyone survives, Rachel. Maybe they do, yeah. But So let's see what happened. Now, Hutchison, he broke into the Leitner home with an intention of stealing. He broke in via a set of patio doors. Unfortunately, back then, I'm going to give you my useless knowledge here, Rachel. It's not in the script. Yeah. But back, back then, uh, patio doors were very easy to break into. All you had to do was lift them in a certain place so you could actually lift them off the hinge and then just pull the door oh out. Oh, my God. So, uh, and most of the posh houses had fires doors because it was the in thing in the 80s so it just made Amazing. it a lot easier to break into so he broke in not that our listeners need to know that unless you're planning to be a burglar you have to go back 30 years because patio doors are or, not like that anymore yeah or you're not living in a really old house and now you're just setting alarm bells ringing with people thinking they're gonna be broken into by crazy madmen yeah but, but if you are don't worry you've still got time to finish this podcast so <laughs> initially he went to the kitchen Hutchinson and he ate some cheese from the fridge and he drank champagne from a glass or bottle now Hutchinson he never he himself said what happened next but the police were able to put it together from the scene of the crime and for all you true crime buffs out there this is one of the first crime this is one of the first crime scenes in the UK at least that filmed a crime scene as it was. And at the time that was groundbreaking because it was very early eighties and video recording wasn't something that got done. Not a crime scene anyway. And so they deduced that Basil the father was killed first at the top of the stairs. And he was stabbed to death. Probably on his way downstairs to investigate any noise. And his wife Avril, she was brutally attacked, having been stabbed twenty-six times and she had defensive marks on her arms showing that she had put up a fight and then their son Richard who was 28 years old he was found stabbed to death half on and half off his bed so very brutal you've got the parents of the bride and the brother of the bride all dead stabbed to death but then what did Hutchinson do he turned his attention to their daughter Nicola or Nikki as she liked to be called he didn't kill her. He went to her bedroom and he raped her. And before walk, and after he raped her, he he walked her downstairs and he made a step over her dead father's body so she could get downstairs. And then he continued to rape her at nine point seven more times. And for reasons that we'll never know, you alluded to it earlier. He didn't kill Nikki. I think probably at times she probably wished that he did. I can't imagine. Yeah. Um, I can't imagine what it was like. But before I go any further, I just want to give you a small recap. So you've got a happy family at a moment in their lives where they are, are at their happiest. They're seeing someone they love getting married, a daughter and a sister. And they are then killed. The two parents and the son with the youngest daughter raped. And while she may be alive, her life will never be the same again. I imagine she was 18 then, 38 years ago. Um, that would be make her 56 now. Yep. So 
Yeah, I can't. She's probably still having to live with that now. But can you can you guess what he got away with? Because you remember he he didn't break into kill. He broke into steel. So can you guess what the cost of all this damage was and evil that he brought into the lives, Rachel? I mean, again, if I hadn't read the script, knowing what I know, I'd I'd probably be assuming it it wasn't a lot because you like he's just left a path of destruction he's probably um like feeling like adrenaline high so he's, he probably walked out empty-handed or maybe with the bottle of champagne he, he was drinking he, he just like nabbed that and maybe some cheese and left like yeah possibly but it was reported and i'll put a picture of the original newspaper article detailing this on our social media pages but it was reported that he got away with diamond watch and £30 in cash. Now, the equivalent in 2021 of £30 would equate to £81.67. So, not a lot of money at all. And I think this makes it even worse because he had already been in police custody for rape and burglary, among other things, and he escaped to do this. So, he escaped to burgle, to rape, and to kill. This happens so often, doesn't it? Like cases where people had they have been prosecuted correctly or prosecuted at all wouldn't have gone on to commit like even worse crimes um which just make it even worse for the victim especially the daughter and by all accounts the the married couple that survived makes it worse for them as well because this man shouldn't have been out on the streets hunting for a place to burgle yeah and we don't know where the the daughter and her new husband went, but they may have gone off. I mean, the Leighton's were a wealthy family, so they may have gone off on a honeymoon. And in 1983, there's no internet, yeah. no mobile phones. So they could have been well underway in a honeymoon, or even when it finished, if they went abroad, they might not yeah. have known until they got back and then just found out all this happened. God, that'd be tragic, wouldn't it? But, like, what's strange to me now that you've spoken about it, we can kind of dive into it, but it's strange how he just went and killed them. Like, what changed in his mind from just simply, like, raping a victim and and, and ransacking the house, which he'd obviously got previous history for, to ki- killing... Well, the father, he's disturbed him, but then he's gone upstairs and killed the mum and the brother. Yeah, I mean, obviously we'll never know. There's lots of people speculating online. Um, it, it it sounds like it's a classic power thing. Yeah, he, or he drugs maybe. No, he wasn't. Um, he wasn't a drug user. No, I just so. I find it like fascinating that because m- most true crime podcasts that you listen to, somebody's got it in their DNA almost. You know that's their like they've got form they've killed animals or they've shown some sort of behavior but then again i'm i'm talking myself out of this he did try and kill his brother didn't he his half brother yeah and he stabbed his sister when he was seven yeah so actually he did have form he just didn't act on it for for a number of years it was just dormant wasn't it and he had a string of sexual assaults and rape and burglary so so after after he had gotten what he wanted and done what he did, he escaped and he sparked what was at the time 
a huge man up for him. Actually, at that time, while he was um, wanted, he was the most wanted person in the UK. Now, the police knew it was mm -hmm. him because Nikki, the daughter, was brave enough to be able to give the police an accurate description of her attacker. And that must have been difficult. But in addition to the description, they had his palm print that was taken from the champagne glass that he drank out of when he broke into the house. So he had, they had his palm print, so they knew it was him. And they had the description which matched the person who, when they matched the palm print up. Yeah. So despite being in the national media everywhere, Hutchinson actually managed to evade justice for 39 days. And in those 39 days, he would actually call the police and local media up and he'd taunt them. And he, he did this a few times. He gave himself the nickname of the Fox, which was happily picked up by the media because they love things like that. And I actually have part of a recording of one of the calls, if you want to listen to it, Rachel. Yeah, let's go for it. Hello, He's now he's just escalated a lot now. He's gone like he had the high on power when he killed the three people in that house, and now he's like taunting the police. It's blows my mind. Yeah, he's just escalated really quickly, and now he almost feels invincible, doesn't he? They've got his name. They're hunting for him, and he's calling them up, just sprouting shit basically. Yeah, and now he he did go on to say in that call. I don't have the best of the recording of it. But this is a transcription of it, like playing cat and mouse, or should I say fox on the trot? He he was quoted as saying while he laughed, "I'll make no, I'm making no comment on the triple killings. Let the police do what they want. I'm saying now, they knew I was finished, but makes no difference whether they shoot me for this or anything else. If they think I'm dangerous, let them think that maybe I am, maybe I'm not. I'm still free, and that's the main thing. However, crackers I might be." I've walked past them several times and they haven't even noticed noticed me. Like I say, I'm a master of disguise. So he it sounds like he really loved himself, doesn't it? Mm, yeah, and I just wonder as well, I do not condone it at all, but would they have had the death penalty in the 80s? Or did, no. was that abolished in like the... That was uh, many decades before. Oh, right, okay, because he's almost like taunting to the state where he's like, oh, do whatever they want with me, i.e., you know, send me off to the gallows kind of thing. But like, yeah, I was just curious about that because he, he feel, yeah, he feels almost invincible, doesn't he? The way he's behaving. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And, um, and actually that poor girl as well, to, because the, I bet the press were as bad as they are in this day and age, you know, he'd have made front front page news and he, he she did. sat there thinking this man, not only like punished me but then took my most of my family away and now I have to look at his face in the paper that must have been absolutely awful like talk about adding salt to the wound yeah and she was only 18 
Oh. Yeah, I think about that. So I know we like to think and pretend that we're fully grown up when we're 18, but we're still children, aren't we? Oh, yeah. So, yeah. And uh, now, but luckily, the police did catch him. And because why did they catch him? You know, if you remember, <laughs> he was a favourite of his mum's. And he actually phoned his mum up to tell her that he was coming to visit her. And which is obviously, that's what you do when you're the most wanted man in England. You you phone your mum up and say, I'm coming around to visit you for a cup of tea. So um, the police, they were recording her calls. So they caught him in a field, a turnip field, which is quite appropriate, near his home or near her home. Now, what's that? Can sort I just of... add here? Yeah? Sorry. Now... There's definitely a consistency with your scripts. And I would like to give them the title of somehow you found you found you've located the world's dumbest criminals. And they all seem to be in the UK and Ireland so far. Um, although I think we had one further afield, didn't we? Red one in America, um, yeah. Yeah, but honestly, these people just seem to have this capability of going above and beyond in leaving you know stupid remember, remember the guy that that kidnapped the girl on the side of a motorway yeah and that, yeah that was in Ireland but yeah yeah insane insane this guy just goes oh yeah mum just fancy a brew see your son yeah and actually there's a reason why I haven't done any more non-UK and Irish ones because the, the American one was the third episode. And after we recorded that and I published it and my wife listened to it, she told me off. Because she said to me, and she's going to listen to this, so she'll probably tell me off when she hears me saying this story. But um, she said to me, no, this is supposed to be a, a focus on the UK and Ireland and it's your third episode and you've done one in America. Like, don't, uh -oh. don't do another non-UK or Irish one for a while. So I was like... And obviously, I'm quite happily admit I don't wear the trousers in my family. So, <laughs> so we will do maybe a few outside of the UK and Ireland, but not for a while because she's not getting busy times. Yeah, but I'm sure there's plenty more dumb criminals that we can find some great true crime stories on the UK and Ireland. So let's. Yes. That's, all that's the task. They're not all dumb. I've, no. got a, I've got a short list of about a couple of dozen, which um waking my way towards so yeah and do you know what i'm not even doing it justice there there's just elements of stupidity isn't that where yeah there's there's just the the guy who invited the police in to see the blood in his kitchen with the knife with his wife's blood on yeah there's just elements of like what are you thinking <laughs> yeah and maybe also elements of arrogance do you think that too yeah it's not stupidity it's just arrogance in it I'm, yeah. I'm, yeah maybe that's a a common theme you're arrogant enough to kill because you think you might get away with it yeah um, you could yeah you could you could say that that's definitely a good spin on it but you, you mentioned this earlier like what sort of man was he so what sort of man was Arthur before the killings what was he like now we know I mentioned these crimes but what we did know those who knew him, they what did they have to say about him? And you often hear people describing killers as someone who is nice or helps out mm. or similar. And we did that with the the chap who killed Justin Valdez in in Ireland. He yeah. was described, and we had quotes from his neighbours saying he was a lovely yeah. guy. He helped me out when it snowed. Um, so 
what did Arthur's friends and family have to say? Now, it seems like we was right. Arthur was bad from the start. Let's not forget that as a child, at seven, he stabbed his sister. And then after that, his half-brother, um, he tried to kill. He went to prison for attempting to murder. And this is what his half-brother had to say about him. And I'm going to just use this previous quote before. But he was backward, you see. Everyone used to take the mickey out of him. He was trying to prove something all the time. So just remind you what he said earlier. But then it wasn't just, did you think maybe his half-brother had something against him? Because obviously he tried to kill him. So, it, But it wasn't just him. When he left school, a man who worked with him, a George Jobson, was quoted as saying this. There was an undercurrent all the time. And you could tell he wasn't, he wasn't genuine, that inwardly he was violent. Now, George went on to describe a situation in which Arthur used to walk around with a five-foot stick and he'd, he'd behave aggressively, actually territorial, around the women of the area. And so George asked him to control himself. And George said this about the incident. He said he could kill me with one blow. And imagine that. You say, asking someone just to calm down. They say, I could kill you with one blow. It, it, it would yeah. scare me. Yeah, definitely. And and George described him as being very territorial around women. And apparently, well, apparently he was quite appealing to women. Women, His Dino, his half-brother, who I mentioned earlier, had this to say about that. I can only say what I saw. I don't know what it was, but he had a lot of women. They were queuing up. In 1968, after several relationships, he did actually get married. And you'd oh, think, wow. you'd think that after maybe marriage, it might change him as a person. But no, he didn't. He scared his ex-wife so much that even 30 years, well, that's my maths. So actually, it's not my maths because she was quoted 30 years afterwards. So that even 30 years after she got divorced from him, and he was in prison. She still wanted to remain anonymous. So that, that shows the fear that she had. And this is what she had to say. For two weeks, the first two weeks, he was charming. But he could change. And he just turned. I was terrified. He kicked me from here to hell. I'm his wife. He used to rape, rape, and rape me. That's what he did. So imagine that as a... Oh, I can't even imagine. And she had to... Be, sorry. No, I was going to say, again, just to, like, add insult to injury, that wouldn't have even been a crime in the 80s. Like, you were allowed to essentially rape your wife, you know, or, or vice versa. But but um, that wasn't recognised as actual crime. It's only in, like, the last maybe 10 years, maybe less, that that's been identified as, as cr cr criminal activity, which is insane. But, yeah, that, yeah. that woman Crazy. wouldn't have been able to go to the police and say oh you know police officer you need to arrest my husband he raped me because they they just like laughed her at the station i actually can imagine that happening even though it's it's depressing to think about yeah but, and yeah it probably affected her as well to like not not get well, married again or, or even trust or meet anybody it definitely affected her because she wanted to say anonymous 30 years after it happened yeah um, yeah. but, and she had to endure that marriage for three years as well before she could escape it. And we say escaping, some people say, oh, why didn't she leave straight away? But you know it's not that simple. And especially at that time when it was even harder for women. And that poor woman, she must have gone through hell. And I mean, I don't think you could think anything else other than that. Do you? 
No, I, I, I believe like that she probably didn't realize she was in it until she was too far in it. Like you hear loads of stories about how charming people can be in the first couple of weeks or months. And then once they're under your skin, got you trapped, they just turn. And then, um, and then you, you're kind of trapped, especially again, if she was like living off of his wage or, or, yeah. you know, she was away from her family. She would have felt completely isolated and felt like she had to put up with him. But if, if I, if I were her, um, in in this situation i'd probably want to stay anonymous as well because you just wouldn't want to be the person that was married to that horror um you know especially the british press have had a great time um joking about him on the run like you know it, it would just be unthinkable like what your work colleagues might be saying about you or or people that live near you. Oh, she used to be married to him. Like, what yeah. was she be like? She must like, have known what he was like and stuff like that. Yeah, just, yeah. you just want to distance yourself so far from that. But yeah, no, you're right because even she says here, like she, for the first two weeks that she's talking, the first two weeks of their marriage, he was charming. So mm. he was fine to her. He got married to her, and then he changed. So you're exactly right. Once he he knew he had a trap, and it was fear as well. Don't forget, like. When someone does that, when someone rapes you consistently, it sounds like this is just what he did over and over. Mm. It's, it's going to be so much fear. It's. I think some people, when they they look at it from the outside, and some of the lesser intelligent people go, oh, why didn't she just leave? I don't think they quite can grasp no. what fear does to a person. And, that, and that's the thing, like, these people are intelligent people. They're, they're in normal adult relationships, but emphasis on the word normal. And this is an abnormal relationship. And yes. that's why people don't even, they can't even put themselves in those in that position because it's unthinkable, it's unimaginable what, what, these, what these people do and, like, their behaviour as well. They, they make people like I, I've I've had a friend go through this situation and they make the my friend he made her believe she was crazy like to to the point where she was like you know thinking about um admitting herself to to psychiatric care unit because she was so forgetful and she was so careless and all of these things he just brainwashed her basically and yeah. um she didn't even realize it was happening so um so yeah it, it really is unthinkable until you watch it happen and you think wow gosh yeah like you you can't empathize because these situations are just so abnormal so far from a normal healthy relationship that most adult well most adults are in or have been in exactly now let's get back to Arthur so so uh, what actually happened well at his trial he actually pled not guilty and he actually <laughs> believe it or not he blamed a reporter for the killings so there was a reporter that after he was arrested went around to speak to his mother obviously for a newspaper article yeah and he didn't like this. So he, and the reporter was in the courtroom when the, when the trial was happening. So he took the stand and he actually blamed the reporter, said, that's the man that killed these women, uh, the, the, oh the wife and the two, and their the family members. So that's crazy. But obviously 
the reporter didn't kill anyone. And yes. Arthur, Arthur was found guilty. And the judge gave him 18 years. Uh, but was actually at the time quoted as saying, in this instance, life should mean life. And it did mean life because his tariff was actually changed by the Home Secretary to a whole life tariff, meaning that he wouldn't be able to ever be released. Now, his sentence is actually quite interesting, which is why I mentioned it. I don't know me going into these details, but he was the first person to actually challenge a whole life tariff. And he challenged it at the High Court, at the Court of Appeal, and he challenged it all the way up to the European Courts of Appeal. And he was challenging it under the challenge that it breached his human rights. Oh, my God. And uh, uh, because the right to... Um, the right to, what's the word I'm looking for, the right to um, have an end to his uh, punishment. So, and you'll be glad to hear at every stage, even from the High Court all the way up to the European Court, his appeals are rejected with the final decision stating that it was a right of the British system to give him a whole life tariff as a sentence. And he's actually still alive today and he's now 80 years old so he's been in prison the last 38 years which is probably the best um the best place for him so what are are you forcing this from Rachel? it was a little bit of a different one but it was very cruel and evil if you ask me what do you think yeah just completely unnecessary along with a lot of other true crime stories it just feels really pointless like especially when Actually, just just roll back to what he took from the house. £81 in this day's money. Yeah, and, and a watch, diamond watch which sell, yeah. he probably never intended to sell and probably didn't take care of either. So re- really pointless crime. He's dragged a family through hell and back and taunted police like, what a, what a horrible man. Yeah, I know exactly. I mean, no, no murder is acceptable. No matter yeah. what some people online say, but um, sometimes you can see why it happened. So if there's people arguing and it gets out of hand, or um, or even if it's a robbery gone wrong, like an armed robbery, I mean, uh, where it's like a bank robbery or something. Yeah. But you, you can see how it got to that stage. But in this instance, I mean, I'm in, I'm I'm imagining this here, but I'm guessing. It was a big house that the Leighton's lived in. They were a wealthy family. So he would have had to be making some noise almost on purpose or like he didn't care for, yeah. for it to be heard. And you also have to think his the father, Basil, was killed at the top of the stairs. Yeah. So that means he's made that, his way out the kitchen. So that yeah, so yeah, so that means that he's either was on his way upstairs anyway when he knew the family was in there, or if they, and he'd imagine I'd probably do this, you'd probably shout, who's there? Or I'm coming down the stairs. And a normal yeah. burglar, a normal robber, they would run. They would escape. Yeah. But he chose to get a kitchen knife from the kitchen and go and kill them instead. So so there's no logic or rhyme behind it. There's no, that, um, yeah. That, that says a lot as well. I hadn't even thought about that. There's like that fight or flight, right? And if, if you really feel the need to burgle a house for cash so that you can live your life on the run, then you do what you need to do. But if you get disturbed you and there's a clear exit, a.k.a. the patio doors he's just taken off, 
you run and you know you you re regroup and think about your plan he's he's calculated those murders because he's in that moment that you could have just fled he's grabbed the kitchen knife and kind of gone on the rampage hasn't he yeah. and it's it it's just nasty and unfortunately it's kind of like this that you still read about today yeah just yeah. pointless exactly so thank you everyone for listening and for one last time i'd like to relax to close your eyes and picture the scene you've worked hard all your life and that moment comes when you can create memories of a lifetime can you sit back and enjoy it or should you be worried about what's to happen so thank you rachel and thank you everyone for listening we do this say this every time and we'll continue to say it but please do give us feedback it's all welcome as is our subscription wherever you listen to your podcasts so thank you goodbye and god bless goodbye